I'm Cynthia Potter, three-time Olympian and current color commentator for NBC and the Olympics. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I'm Aaron Rooney. As always, the podcast is sponsored by Sideline Scout. Video replay, the most important tool in diving. Get those corrections, get everything working in the right direction. So make sure you go get over to sidelinescout.com, check out their poolside live package, and just get hooked up with the best in the business. So Cynthia, hopping right in here, just kind of take us through your start into diving and your journey and then how you got where you are now involved in the sport. Wow, it's kind of a long story because I'm old. (laughs) 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 But I I got interested um, as a youngster because my father, who died when I was really quite young, nine years old, and he was young, um, introduced my two older sisters. I had four sisters, but at the time, my two older sisters and uh, me were the ones that were interacting with him more because we we were older and um, one was only six months old when my uh, father passed away. But anyway, he introduced us to every sport you can imagine that little girls were doing at the time and which was quite limited back in the 50s. And so we took ice skating lessons, ballet lessons, uh, swimming lessons, eventually diving lessons. Um, art, piano, horseback riding lessons. Um, There's probably more, but it was crazy because you'd think that with all of that going on, that we wouldn't have any time to go to school, but, you know, we didn't do all that every day. In fact, you know, it was like once a week, most of the time. And um, I loved the water and I gravitated to that and dance right off the bat. And so when, when we got my older, two older sisters and me got good enough that I wanted to do more diving and we were at a, a little country club pool and we didn't have, um, a, we had a diving teacher, but you know, he was a country club teacher and he, he didn't know a whole lot about diving and, and I, we certainly didn't. So my father found a program that there wasn't, there really wasn't very many programs. And of course we were under at that time, if you got involved in club diving and, and it was a high level, it was under the AAU. And so we did find a place to do that. And the, the rule was that I wanted to, to take diving lessons. And there was synchronized swimming, there was diving, and there was swimming. And the swimming program was a big program. And the diving coach was um, a I don't know if I'd call her world renowned, but she had been um, the alternate on the Olympic team on the platform. And it just so happened that the Shamrock Hilton Hotel, where we went to do this, uh, had a, a five and a 10 meter platform. So we were very lucky in a 50 meter pool. The rule was you have to swim the length of the pool, which was, I never seen a 50 meter pool before, before you can take a diving lesson from the diving coach there. Um, which was probably a, a pretty good idea. And so I was like, let me at it. And I got in, swam the length of the pool. I probably, you know, was choking. But um, <laughs> so I got to take diving lessons. And that was that was like a huge deal for me because I don't know that my sisters really cared that much, but I did. Mm-hmm. And so right off the bat, um, I, I excelled somewhat. I was probably better than mediocre but I wasn't I mean I didn't know what I was doing at all and Mm -hmm. they had those things called buckboards which were you know heavy duty aluminum and 
they weren't anything like, you know, what's going on today with the equipment. <laughs> but anyway, it was, it was really fun. They had two one meters and two three meters, which was unheard of, and a five and a 10 meter. So I started in the program there. We swam on the team there too. And I, my two loves were dance and diving. And fortunately, they kind of go together in a lot of ways uh, because I think dance translates really well to springboard diving. Uh, a lot of the elements of, of dance and the muscle groups, much like gymnastics and, and platform diving. So that's kind of how I got involved in a big time program. And um, then I started going to diving meets and, you know, just around Texas, just, I, I grew up in Houston and, and we just went to, you know, local meets and, and maybe the state meet, which was held every year in Austin. And then there was another one in San Antonio. There was one that was an age group state meet and then another one that was an open state meet. We dived at the Lone Star Brewery in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's how I really um, got introduced to um, better uh, big time diving, so to speak. And um, I was, I had to be seven or eight because I think uh, we were involved in the program for at least a year while my father was alive. It wasn't too long, so maybe I was eight-ish. And, um, and so when he passed away, of course I wanted to continue my dance and my diving, and I, I danced almost every day too, um, ballet. And my sisters loved more equestrian than I did. I loved, I loved it all. I, I was kind of hyper. Maybe I still am, but uh, anyway, I started going to the nationals when I was 13 years old because they didn't have a junior nationals, so you had to qualify for the nationals, and when I went to my first, it was called the regionals, I went to my first regional qualifying meet for the national championship, I was blown away. I saw the most beautiful divers, both physically and their talent. And I just, I was, I was in awe of them, both the men and the women, but uh, of course the women, because that's who I was competing against. And lo and behold, I qualified. I don't, I don't know how I did, but um, I can't remember if you had to qualify on both boards. I think you did, but uh, I wasn't very good on the three meter. Uh, I was, I was much better on the one meter because that had been where I had grown up, you know, at the country club, they didn't have, they had a what was called a high board, but I don't think it was three meter. It might have been two and a half or something like that. So, you know, going to the nationals at 13 and then having my eyes opened even more uh, at that point, uh, and it was in Pittsburgh, I was, again, in awe because there were so many more divers that came to the nationals than were at the regionals, and the regionals were in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, I was just, I was smitten by so many things about diving, and uh, I had a woman coach, which was somewhat unusual, uh, but she was the best ever. She took care of us in a lot of ways, because we just, you know, I didn't have a lot of teammates that went to the regionals, and um, I don't think anybody else qualified for the nationals, and we were separated back then. The, the women's nationals and the men's nationals were not combined. 
So I went to Pittsburgh for mine and uh, I got 10th place on the one meter in my first national. Only the top eight made the finals, but it was, it was like I came sort of close and it was very inspiring and motivating. So that's, that's kind of how I got involved. And you couldn't keep me off the diving boards. If there was diving practice, I begged my mom to, to let me go. And by that time, you know, of course, my, my father had passed away and she was trying to carpool, you know, five little girls around to different things. So it, sometimes it was hard for me to, to get to, to go to uh, practice. But in the summertime, I would be dropped off at the pool. I think a lot of kids went through this and stay all day long. And mm -hmm. practice and then maybe eat a little lunch sitting on the grass on the sidelines and then we you know we just we dived all day long it was so much fun what was it like um post junior career the decision to go wherever you may have gone for college and what was diving like after that youth level i didn't think i was going to get to dive after i graduated high school um the best I had been when I was a senior in high school was fifth place in the nation. And I, I thought I was going to have to quit because there were no programs for women. You couldn't even, you couldn't go somewhere and continue your diving. Because, and I, I've said this, so this is not a secret. Uh, I, I had my admission, my roommate, my dorm room and all that to the University of Texas because that was where I was going to go. Um, because I didn't really have desires to go anywhere else if I couldn't dive somewhere. And they didn't allow women in the competitive pool. Uh, they huh. had a swimming diving program, obviously, but no women were allowed in there. And so um, about, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks before I was going to graduate high school, um, I had probably met Hobie, but I don't remember actually shaking his hand at the nationals um, before that, because I'd been to a number of nationals starting at 13. I graduated high school when I was 17. And Hobie Gonsley called me one night, uh, right before I was graduating high school. And I answered, I, I think I actually, yeah, I answered the phone and he asked me if I knew who he was and he you know, introduced himself. And I said, I think I probably was close to wetting my pants because I was so excited. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know who you are. You're like the best diving coach in the world. And uh, so, you know, I was just like crazy uh, anxious about talking to him. And so he said, uh, you know, that he'd seen me dive and um, he was in impressed with, but he said, you know, I needed a lot of, a lot of help here and there and did I want to come to Indiana and I was so so naive my re response was what for <laughs> <laughs> and he said well Doc Councilman and I have a deal and uh, I can have so many women a year practice with the men's college team um, during their practices um, and the women will, of course, go to the AAU meets. Uh, USA Diving had not come about yet. Um, and so you could stay here in the summertime and you could train with me for the nationals and the Olympic trials and so forth and so on. 
So I mean, I was flipping out. And I was like, okay, what do I have to do? And he said, well, uh, you got to apply. And I said, okay. And he asked me how my grades were. I said, good. How my test scores were. I said, pretty good. And he said, okay, we'll get that done. And then, and then get here as soon as you can because it's Olympic summer. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'd never been to Indiana before. My mother had never been to Indiana before. <laughs> So when I eventually hung up the phone, I don't remember how long our conversation uh, lasted. I remember where I was, what phone I was on. It was a rotary dial phone in our house. <laughs> and we hung up and I went into where my mother was sitting, maybe reading the paper or doing the crossword or whatever. It was in the evening time. And I said, Mom, that was the coach at Indiana University, the dining coach. And she said, well, isn't that nice? <laughs> And I said, yeah, I'm going to go to Indiana. And I, she looked at me like I had three eyes, you know, foreheads, whatever. And she said, you are not. <laughs> and I said, yeah, here's how, how it's going to work. So lo and behold, somehow or another, I, I got, I, I applied for admission and I, said I would take freshman English in the summertime so I could live in a dormitory. Mom and I got on an airplane. We had no idea what we were doing. Went to Indianapolis. Hobie picked us up. Drove us to Bloomington. Took me to a dorm that had been uh, renovated into a hotel. It looked like a dorm, but that's fine. It was a place to sleep. And I think my mother stayed one, maybe two nights. And then I was on my own. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything. I, I, I mean, I had seen the divers from Indiana dive at the Nationals, and I was, I thought they were all the best in the world, and I mean, some of them were, and I thought, what if they don't like me? Anyway, there was a lot of, a lot of anxiety on my part, insecurity, but I took freshman English that summer and lived in the dormitory hotter than Hades, no air conditioning. Oh my gosh. But I couldn't wait to go to dining practice every day because that's what I was there for. So that summer I won my nationals and my first nationals and Hobie said I would. And that was what was really, I mean, if you don't have belief in your coach and they tell you you're going to win the nationals and you do, you probably do have some kind of belief or faith in them after that. Yeah. So we went to the Olympic trials um, I didn't know how to dive platform. Hobie taught me a list on platform. I was scared to death. I mean, I had dived a little bit on platform, but I wasn't any good. I went in the <laughs> water like uh, like the ta- Titanic sinking. I, I, I made the biggest splash you could ever. I didn't know about grabbing my hand. I didn't know about any of that stuff. So I made, I was an alternate on that team that summer on the platform. And, and that was like, Oh no, what am I going to do now? I really don't know how to do this. (laughs) And and at that time, the Olympic Committee considered the alternates a member of the team. I don't know why um, they did that back then. And and I know there's lots of reasons why they don't anymore, including finances, etc. But um, they did back then. So you know, a lot of the record books say I was on that Olympic team. I didn't consider that I was because we went to training camp, Olympic training camp in Colorado Springs. There was no training center there yet, but um, 
we we stayed there for I don't know uh, two three weeks and I don't remember if we got outfitted there we probably did but um, we were training every day and I had to dive platform most of the time because if anybody had been injured before we left the United States to go to Mexico then I would be put in in my event but if nobody was you couldn't replace somebody at that time it was too late for that so. I chose not to go to the Olympics, even though they would have taken me. I could have gone and, and I probably should have because it would have been all about the experience and being there. But that year in 1968, the Olympics were in October, Mexico City. And when school started, which was in September, I, I was a freshman in college. I didn't want to miss out on the first semester of school because that meant, and I was already thinking this far ahead, that I would be late graduating uh, when it came time for the next Olympic Games. And after doing as well as I had at the Olympic trials uh, that year, I was determined that I wanted to be on the next Olympic team fair and square, and I wasn't going to be any alternate. So um, that's why I did not go to Mexico City and you know sit around and, and watch. And if you remember, or you guys weren't born, but if if you have any any recollection of the history of it, Mickey King broke her arm uh, in the games, and but she did finish the contest. Now she didn't get hurt before we left her, and nobody was hurt, and that was on the springboard. So I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been a, a competitor on the springboard anyway. But that's the way it kind of went, and um, there are lots of silly things about uh, us training at altitude and I mean you know I'd run up the stairs to the tower and I couldn't figure out why I felt like I wanted to throw up the altitude <laughs> was crazy and anyway that the swimming teams the men and women's Olympic swimming teams were also trained there we were all kind of one so I got to know all these famous Olympic swimmers which I had met some of them in Indiana already because they had a, an incredible group of men swimmers there. They didn't have women swimmers that were training with the, the men's collegiate team like we did in diving, but uh, it was it was an amazing experience. I'm grateful for every minute of it, um, and so I went back to school while the other alternates went to the Mexico City, and some of them got in trouble because they didn't have a whole lot to do. <laughs> So, Cynthia, I did a quick little Wikipedia search, and, and this is just as surface level as it gets, but I want to hear you expand a little bit. Uh, 28 national titles, Olympic bronze medal. What would you say is your most proud diving moment? Um, that's a hard one because there are moments that are associated with diving that blew me away, um, such as walking into the Olympic Stadium in the opening ceremonies of Montreal. That was my second Olympic that I actually dived in. Um, and that was, that was just over the top, uh, humbling. Uh, I never, I'd never had a reception like that before in my life. And I, it felt like we were in the United States because there were so many people there supporting us from the US. So that was, um, you know, that was one of the biggest thrills ever, but it wasn't actually in diving. I think what I, 
won my first national title, which was on the one meter, and it was in Lincoln, Nebraska, the summer of 1968. That was that, that was a pretty big deal because I didn't have that kind of confidence in myself. I mean, Hobie kept telling me and that I was going to win. Uh, he didn't necessarily say it was the one meter or the three meter, and I was, you know, diving platform. I wasn't, like I said, any good, but. And it didn't take a whole lot back then to make the final home platform. So, you know, if I was good, it was not because I was, or if I made the finals, it wasn't because I was very good. But winning that first national title was, and I don't know if other people feel the same way because now there are so many national titles at stake or, or have been every year. Um, back then, you know, we didn't have synchronized diving. And in some in some indoor nationals, they were called indoors and outdoors. They didn't have, I think it was one meter. Um, when I started diving, I don't remember that they didn't have three events for women. So um, I was I was really uh, shocked, and it gave me it gave me a sense of belonging with the Indiana group because there were so many national champions there, and and Olympic, uh, I mean, Ken Sitzberger had retired already, but he was one of those divers that had just retired. And then there were other Olympians. Uh, Luis Senior de Rivera from Mexico, um, he was an Olympian. Leslie Bush was diving with us, and she was an Olympic champion from 1964. Um, and so it it gave me a sense of, and when Young was a national champion, there were, there were more than just a couple. It gave me a sense of maybe um, maybe I do have a place here, and and it really was amazing uh, how good that felt, and and how it inspired me to do more. I didn't, I don't think I balked most of the time, uh, not literally, but at doing new dives. Um, I always wanted to learn more and do more, but uh, if if anything inspired me, it was winning the nationals for the first time and, and that was it was a huge deal they had a phone booth on the pool deck huh. and they allowed you to call whoever you wanted to call and of course everybody called their parents if they weren't there and of course my mother didn't go she she didn't know i was going to win the nationals she didn't you know good honey have fun at the nationals um but i called her and it was over the pa system your phone call and thank goodness my mother didn't say anything. I mean, she didn't curse, but, you know, it, it might have shocked the you-know-what out of her uh, because it kind of did me. So that was pretty cool. And it, it was a big deal. That's awesome. Um, so, Cynthia, a lot of people know you from being a commentator for NBC for the Olympics, Olympic trials. How did you get involved in becoming kind of a commentator for those events? right place at the right time, um, Heath and Aaron. I, I, I was so fortunate, um, but I was not uncomfortable in front of an audience or a camera because I'd been a dancer also and done uh, performances. Um, and, you know, my friends, they were brutal. They'd make fun of me, whether I was diving or dancing. I mean, it was like they'd bring fruit sometimes that you could throw at people when I would do a dance performance and they would sit on the front row and they would 
hold up the fruit. Like if I screwed up, they're going to throw it at me. <laughs> so I, I wasn't uh, camera shy. Uh, I don't think at all. And I got approached the, right when I quit dining by uh, mutual radio to do a radio show for a year. Um, and I had to get my own little tape recorder, my own little microphone. Um, I had to leave rooms, time for the commercials. It was, it was such a great little training ground for me because I didn't have to be on camera. Uh, I don't love being on camera. And I, I can tell you that I never, I've never been one of those people that said, you know, I want my FaceTime. Oh, it's okay if you don't ever do that. <laughs> but, but I did that that radio show for a year and it was such it was so much fun and and then abc had been this was in 80 around 82 83 and the olympics were going to be in los angeles as you might remember mm -hmm. in 84 and so ken sitzberger had been doing all the olympic commentary and the only the only place that ever put diving on at that time to my knowledge, was uh, ABC, and you'll remember ABC Wide World of Sports. Mm -hmm, yep. So they did sometimes cliff diving, and they did the national um, every summer, the, the outdoor national. And so I had gotten to know Ken very well because he had been an IU alum, and his wife at the time, Jeannie Sitzberger, Jeannie Collier Sitzberger, had been a silver medalist in the Olympics where he won gold, and she and I were really good friends. Well, he called me up, and and I think he was, um, I think he was trying to protect himself in a way. He called me up and said, "ABC's gotten a lot of lot of criticism for not having a, a woman do some of the commentary. Are you interested?" Um, and I don't know whether ABC encouraged him to, to call people or not, but I said, "Well." I guess so. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I didn't care about being on TV, but it sounded fun. And I always, I loved seeing Kenny and Jeannie at the meets. Uh, and when he would come to the meets, he would pull me aside when I was competing. And he would say, I don't know anything about any of these divers. What, what's going on? What kind of divers are y'all doing? What, I mean, he never went to a diving meet other than to go do that once a year. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was kind of funny. I, maybe I was his tutor. But <laughs> so... I think ABC tried out three different people. Fortunately, I had a great show um, when I did my little tryout. I did the, the Nationals in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. My play-by-play -play person was Frank Gifford. <laughs> oh, wow. I know. And, and I had a wonderful uh, producer for the first time ever in doing it, and he helped me. I didn't even really know how to hold the microphone for television or, you know, where you look, what you do. Um, so I got a lot of help and I didn't mind asking for it. I didn't think because I had won a lot of nationals and, and done some things in diving that I deserved to be hired. Um, I just thought, well, this is kind of fun. So this is a long story. I'm sorry. It's so long. Kenny Sitzberger was going to do the men's events in LA and I was going to do the women's and I, I had been picked from the three that they tried out and 
unfortunately, Kenny passed away. I think it was oh January of 84. And ABC freaked out and called me and said, can you do both the men's and the women's events? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. This, yeah, diamond's diamond. This, yeah. yeah, no no problem. And that's kind of how I fell into it. it. It was, you know, like I said, I was in the right place at the right time. It was all fortuitous. And I worked with wonderful people that were willing to help me. And I didn't have any idea. I made so many mistakes. And, and I, you know, I take the rap for it. I, I, that's the way it is. I was learning. But nobody, <clears throat> nobody was teaching me. Yeah. Um, you know, how to how to speak and and when you talk and when you don't talk and so it was kind of trial by fire, but um I yeah. you know, I was lucky. Awesome. Well it you do a great job. And and that leads right into my next question. Um we've actually been a little critical at times of the broadcast. You know, well my question is how do you balance educating somebody who's a potential new viewer of diving with somebody who knows everything and they might be watching from their couch and they're a national champion and they know what's going on. How do you balance that? It, it, it seems like sometimes it's, you know, explaining that the board's made of aluminum and what a tuck is, what a pike is, how dives are scored. For me as a hardcore diving fan, I'm like, you know what? I know that. I just want you with your incredible expertise and your incredible diving to sh- tell me more of like the ins of and outs of why it went short or why they potentially over twisted, whatever it might be. So how do you balance that? And Aaron, you're exactly right. It's hard to do diving 101 when you know there are people there that are that are really calling BS on you and going, come on, give us some real stuff. Um, but... I think that's exactly how people feel at times. I know. And and it's crazy because I feel like, you know, um, remedial, uh, but it's, I'm reminded almost every time I would do a show and I had a lot of different producers. As you can imagine, diving wasn't a real high priority a lot of times for the networks because it wasn't on very often. Yep. So when somebody would produce diving and they didn't have the same person doing it all the time, they would be asking some of the stupidest questions that I thought you could ever ask. Well, how does this work? And I'd have a new play-by-play person that had never seen diving before. And, and um, so I'd have to, you know, do an entire prelim um, just sitting with that person. Most, I don't think I ever had a woman play-by-play. Anyway, I'd have to sit with that person and explain everything about diving to them during the course of whenever they got in town for the show we were doing and um, if, if they would sit with me during the prelims and I would explain how diving works and that you can't explain as you know mm-hmm. to uh, a lay person in a couple of hours how diving works and how you know the degree of difficulties and the codes for the divers and what are people, and what are the judges looking for and, and what are divers thinking and this, that, and the other. So you try and keep it simple in a lot of ways, but you're always reminded your job is not to uh, not to speak to those people who know diving. Your job um. is to educate the people who don't know diving because that's how you're going to get more people to watch 
diving that don't haven't watched diving before and might not just be interested in seeing people in bathing suits. And so yeah. I was always reminded, even though I'm called the expert analyst, I got to be careful because I've had a lot of TV people say, you're, you're talking gibberish. And I, uh. so I, had to, I had to, I had to dumb it down in a lot of ways and, and try and, and speak to somebody who had never seen much diving before didn't know anything talk to the grandmothers talk to the kids talk to people who've never been maybe on a on a diving board or off a diving board before and so it's a very difficult balance and i don't know if i have the answer but i will say that i try and get in the technical aspects of why the dive ends up getting a particular score and and another one that might look similar doesn't get the same kind of score without mm. saying things like um uh what would a diving term be besides rip um uh i don't know something that would be a diving term that nobody would know and i, it, right. I have to explain those things and because somebody's in my ear as you know um with the ifb saying what are you talking about what does that mean what is and I'm like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's why, you know, almost every time I have to explain the format. I have mm -hmm. to explain the, the judging categories. We graphically display them. And I don't run the show. As, as you, mm -hmm. you guys know, people think because I'm the voice behind it, that, that I'm the one deciding who gets shown, who doesn't, what, you know, how much time you get for each diver. That's all formatted in advance. I don't have most of the time any say so in it. And if I do, it's only because I might beg um, for, you know, we, we want to do the super slow-mo here. We want to stop it here. We want to do what's called stroh motion, which we only have at the Olympic Games um, on this dive. And so it, it, was, it was a real education for people and myself. Yeah. who were involved in the telecast that were, they didn't see diving ever and they didn't mm -hmm. know how diving worked. I had to convince them that we needed a stats monitor in the booth. That oh, wow. A feed of dive meets. And yeah. That was my, that was one of my biggest pushes is if you all will provide <laughs> us with a feed in the booth, then we won't have to have a person that's called a stats person in the booth shoving an index card in front of us telling us you know here's here's the current standing and they were handwritten oh wow yeah if you can't imagine what i started out doing and where we come which is which is a wonderful uh evolution and progression because i i know how the telecast works best at this point with the technology. I don't know everything there is to know. And I think you can always improve on anything and everything. I've made a ton of mistakes, but I, I understand the criticism and, um, and you know, I'm right up front with it. You, you guys are right. It's, it's hard to listen to me do that every single time. <laughs> they get six guys and they <laughs> you know, all five groups, but they'll double up on one group and, and the degree of difficulty can make a big difference. Here's how, you know, how that works. And so 
you know, but, ad nauseum. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no, but no. I, I, I think that helps the listeners for the podcast. A t- that helps me a ton. Like, I didn't know you deal with a different producer that doesn't know anything about the sport that's asking you, what do you mean? Like, that helps our listeners and even Aaron and I so much to understand, like, oh, you're almost, yeah, you're educating the list, the, the viewers, but it almost is like you're educating the producer as you're going. So I, I think that that gives a lot of insight that people didn't have in the, in the few people in the country that have that are like sitting there and they're like, finally, like she gets to say, like, I'm educating the producer that has no clue what's going on, but go ahead, Aaron. It looks like you got something. Well, the, the other thing I was going to mention too, um, I didn't realize that some dives were essentially pre-selected for let's do the Mm -hmm. slow motion of this one. So that is kind of an interesting Mm -hmm. little wrinkle that I love hearing because you have been around, you know, who's doing what specific dives. So if you get to say, Hey, you know what? I really want to do a slow motion of Aranza's 305 C on one meter. That's yeah. going to be a very special, very cool dive. That insight to them kind of shows your experience and yeah. what dive might be the one to slow mo. Even, you know, if they crash and burn, that's how it goes sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, and you guys know this too. Um, you all know from seeing the national caliber competitors dive enough times, you know where their Achilles is in their lifts. Yeah. Yep. So that's a lot of times, if we have an opportunity and, and we don't do this at the NTA, we don't do it because it's too fast. The, the yeah. Yeah. are so adamant about the diving can't take more than this amount of time and you got to hurry up and you can't show all the all the um, rounds of dives and this, that, and the other. And a, and a swimming race takes two two minutes and, and diving's taking, you know, 45 minutes or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, oh, shut up. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I, I think there's so many different things that I don't have control over. But when we used to be able to do, and, and at the Olympics and the Olympic trials, we get to do this a lot of times, split screen mm-hmm. of Two dive, two different divers doing the same dive. It's like synchro mm-hmm. diving, but they're doing an individual diving. Yeah. And you can show this is this is why this dive, you know, you you might yeah. not have picked it up if you didn't see it in slow motion because it was part of the execution in the air. Um, but this is why this dive scored maybe you know so much more than this dive, even though they ended up both vertical ripping. Yeah. And yeah. So to be able to point those things out, it's just it's a pleasure and it's it's wonderful. And I and I'm very cautious also of how I talk about somebody's diving. Yeah. I, I think you might have had a question in there about this, but the first thing that I figured out, and nobody told me this, was that you do not analyze the person ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that gets you in trouble. You analyze the dive. You don't talk about if if a diver, you know, is a difficult, you know, behavioral problem or they don't right. train enough or they don't do, you know, you have to say something when somebody stands backwards for a minute and they're not going off the board. Right. Everybody's going, what's going on here? What, you know, and, and it's a live show, but you don't, you don't talk about you know, the, the diver's habits and things like that, because I know what it's like 
having been there, I tried my hardest every time I got in a meet. Maybe I didn't train that dive hard enough, and maybe I was I was too scared to ask the coach if I could do more in practice. And maybe we know that about certain divers that mm-hmm. they're they're maybe not training the way the best divers in the world are. But you got to be really careful with that because I've had parents, I mean, ring me about what I've said about their their children or their relatives or whoever they are and i i try and explain i'm talking about the dive i'm not talking about the diver yeah i'm only talking about the dive and and i've also had parents ring me for nasty emails nasty about you didn't show my kid or my relative or whatever in this round and they ended up being in this place after the round we you know i i'm not in charge of how many dives yeah. we show when we come in or when the commercial breaks are. Yeah. People don't really understand that. I, I'm not running the show. Yeah. Well, it's a thing. It's a thankless job, but I'm going to say thank you. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. And, and I know that it comes with a heap of criticism and a heap of people that say, you know, can't we do better than somebody that says the same thing at the beginning of a contest every time that, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe somebody will do a whole lot better and maybe it'll be a whole, whole lot more fun for the audience, but you're not talking to mostly to people that are educated, smart, and in tune with diving like you guys are. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Cynthia, you kind of touched on the challenging parts of the job, but what is the one thing that maybe is the most rewarding part of getting to experience that job? to acknowledge the divers and the coaches and all of the people involved it you know how much work it takes to develop a diver you know how much work it takes to put on a diving meet you know how much work it takes to 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 be the diver that is is struggling at times and especially uh i think when you get the time and maybe you can convince the producer and director you know, can we get the camera on so-and-so because we don't have the luxury of having a pre-interview and running those during the meet. Mm-hmm. Um, can we can we do this? Because they're this coach is retiring and we know it. And mm-hmm. so we want to make sure we acknowledge that person or, um, you know, just as an example, yeah. uh, when, the, when the NCAAs are going on and there's a bunch of seniors in the finals, I like to talk about how they have given their heart and soul to their universities, their team, Mm -hmm. their training, their coaches, their academics. This is a job. It is not easy. It sure is fun most of the time. It's not always. Mm -hmm. but um, So I think it's really important to say these are incredible young people. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And the coaches that have been have been there through thick and thin and, and what you all go through, you You've had to be, you know, mom and pop a lot of times. You've had to be the psychiatrist, the psychologist, the, the physical trainer. And I used to have to work my own kids out in the weight room. It doesn't happen anymore. But um, you've had to be, you know, a nutritional counselor to a certain extent. So I, I want to acknowledge everybody. I want to acknowledge people that are that are working the table, but it can't, yeah. can't do that. That's, yep. yeah. You're not going to. But I just think it, there's so so many rewarding things to diving, 
-hmm. And I also want to be careful. Um, dieting is fun. I don't want to talk about, and this has been emphasized, people want me to talk about it at times, uh, how dangerous it is. I don't want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. That drives mm -hmm. people away from dieting. And yep. that's not, you know, I know that's a personal uh, pref preference of mine. Um, yes. Can you get hurt dieting? Sure. You can get hurt walking down the street. Yeah. So let's be very careful about that. I've had coaches, you know, dig into me about, you made it sound like, it, you know, platform diving could kill you. And I'm like, no, I was asked to compare, you know, a driving a car into a wall uh, to hitting the water from off the 10 meter platform. Right, and right. They actually had that on one time. Right. It was, it was horrible. And I didn't wow. agree with it. And there are times when I don't agree with what's going on. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm hired to do a job. Yep. 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 So Cynthia, do you have any dives that stick out that you'll always remember watching and calling? Oh boy. One that just, it just breaks my heart. Matt Scoggin. <laughs> yeah. In, in Barcelona. It just breaks my heart. Um, and there's been others like that too, mm -hmm. uh, where you thought, you know, this person is, is in the metals. They have to do something totally out of the realm of what they do every day in practice or uncharacteristic and, and lo and behold, it happens. It just makes, it just kills me sometimes. And, and, you know, yeah. I have to be careful. And, and also when I'm talking about like, I don't know if you all, um, saw or heard, um, the NCAA, he did a tribute to, I think it was at the NCAA, yeah, to Pat McCormick, who had just passed away. Yes. He was judging. So, um, you know, that was, that, that, those kind of things are a big deal to me. It's hard for me at times not to get emotional mm -hmm. when um, I've, I've known these people all their lives. Um, yeah. Not Pat, because she was older than me, but um, I've known Kelly all her life, and I've known you know, a, a lot of people who are retiring and I know what they've been through and I, or, or whatever is keeping them from, from, you know, maybe being on a uh, scene again. And it's, it's just real hard. Um, because I, I, I do my homework. I, I try and put everything I can into making the telecast meaningful. And I understand uh, you know, the critiques you all have, I do get that. And, and unfortunately I can't, I can't make both of those things happen in one sentence. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I, well, I, under I, I understand a lot more now and, and yeah. having this conversation, like it, it get it gets me excited and it kind of like gives me a sigh of relief almost of I figured there were some things that were completely out of your control, but hearing the perspective now, I, I mean, I get it. It, it makes total sense. And I, I understand. Yeah. I, I love diving. I love every level of diving. I don't care whether it's the little kids, you know, doing, you know, front lineups and back lineups or, mm -hmm. and I coached every level. Um, I just, I love dining. And so I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of times the best seat in the house. And, and I, I don't ever take that for granted. I don't overlook yeah. it. And, and I'm grateful for the job that everybody does. Even when a coach gets mad, 
about the judging or something that's said. I mean, I, I understand it's 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 a moment of there's a lot of emotion because mm-hmm. you put your life into it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so in general, from your experience watching the last few years, what do you see as the strengths and weaknesses for the young divers in the USA? I would say the strengths are the choices that you have. Um, the freedom of expression that you can put into your diving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know young people don't necessarily think about that when they first get into you know, developing themselves and, and working with their coaches as a diver. But I think the, um, the, the freedom to, and of course, it's got to be with parental um, leadership and, and assistance, but to choose a program that works mm-hmm. for them, um, find a coach that you feel comfortable with and that feels comfortable with you and maybe that you're not scared to talk to and that you're not scared of. Um, I, mm-hmm. You know, you're not going into a program like in some of the other countries where you're in a a basically a training school and you mm-hmm. don't have any choice you mm-hmm. go here at this hour you do this you do that and you don't you don't have a choice uh, we have we have so many wonderful opportunities and choices here which can be i understand both sides of that court it, mm-hmm. it can can be maybe too much choice and not enough um, discipline or whatever you want to call it. Um, and on the other side, I think that the the weaknesses that maybe have been, and I think the coaches are aware of this, um, there's, there's no mystery about it, are when it comes to the time where you would be hearing a lot of commentary is the consistency in finding vertical and the entry accurateness, the rip. Mm-hmm. And those are the, I guess, the two things, consistency and the, mm-hmm. the entry, um, which I know that other countries start out teaching the, the rip before the kids learn before the young people learn anything else and they decide who can be in the program and who can't, we don't kick people out of programs. And I think that's a great thing Mm -hmm. that we don't give everybody an opportunity to to do and to figure out how far they might be able to go and that they want to go. But I think some of, some of just, you know, the way we used to, to sort of throw the spaghetti against the wall isn't isn't necessarily happening anymore. There's there's systematic progressions that have been taught for quite a while, and I think that's the kind of program you you want a program that has consistency in the program, has consistency with how the how the coach talks to you, what what they're emphasizing, what's the most important thing for your periodization at certain times of the year, and. And from what I've heard, and this is the way I worked when I coached in Division One, I worked backwards from the time of the, you know, zone qualifying meet or NCAA backwards to figure out what we should be doing at what time. And I think that uh, periodization is being done. So I think there's a lot of great things happening. Yeah. And and the strengths and the weaknesses can be the same at times. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know what 
what we have as a strength could also be seen as a weakness in freedom right. of expression. But I'll give you an example of freedom of expression. I think the way that, and I'm going to use, everybody uses Luganus, and I think that's a great example, but I'm going to use Patrick Jeffrey. He had a charisma about his diving, a flair and a charisma that I don't think other countries would necessarily encourage. Um, you see it in, in divers from other countries, but um, I, I think that he was allowed to, to hone his, his uh, charisma. And he, he was one of the divers I loved watching. And of course, the same thing with Luganus who had a dance background and he, he certainly was expressive. Um, and, and there are many women who are, you know, were dancers or were gymnasts and they have certain assets that um, if, you, if you look at some of the other countries and, and I'm, this doesn't escape you all, we're talking mainly, mainly about China, they're training the exact same thing and maybe the divers, I'm not saying they physically all look alike, even though a lot of the women seem to be very slight, very, very small, um, and, and they're young at times, but I think, you know, they're training certain things and they don't necessarily encourage freedom of expressing yourself um, the way that you can in the United States. I think that's a great thing. And I think that's where, um, when, when judging, overall impression comes in. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, that's obviously in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, I don't yeah. ever intend to tell the judge what they should should be rewarding and, and maybe deducting for when it comes to overall impression. And right. That's a hard thing to define, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'll get into our signature questions. Cynthia, we ask everybody um, what their favorite failure is. And we don't treat failure like it's a bad thing. It's you're either winning or you're learning. So from that perspective, what's been your favorite failure or just your best opportunity for growth? say I I understand the word failure as a learning tool and and that's the way I look at it most of the time I don't ever consider that I hit the platform my feet on the platform in my first Olympics um, and I had my feet shot up with Novocaine to be able to to walk and to dive in those Olympics and that was a great learning opportunity for me. Um, never, never, ever in training or otherwise become unfocused when you're in that situation. And if you can do that when you're in practice too, you'll be so much better off because I, I sort of checked out. I was, I was having fun with my friends in practice at the Olympic Games in 72 in Munich and um, I was doing the lead up off the lower platform and I hit my feet on the platform, the top of my feet coming around on a reverse somersault. It was, Ooh. I thought I'd broken my feet or at least one of my feet. And, um, and it was, it was, it just sort of burst my bubble in a lot of ways because I'd won the Olympic trials by a lot on the springboard. And I think when when I reflected on that, it was horrible at the time. Uh, I, I, you know, wasn't gonna, there wasn't any, nobody could take my place. 
we didn't, we didn't have anybody there that was an alternate or that could take my place. I was already in unit training. It was two days. It was the day before the opening ceremony. And our contest was the day after, started the day after the opening ceremony. So, um, you know, I said, if I could walk, I was going to die. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. And it, other people don't necessarily, or didn't necessarily see it as a failure because I, I still made the finals and got seventh place, but I had a horrible outing. That was, right. that was so, I got shot up with Novocaine to be able to dive. I couldn't feel um, my foot that I would lift in the hurdle. So it was like dangling. I couldn't point my toe because I couldn't feel to point it. And I couldn't right. tell walking down the board that if my foot was on the board or not. You know, oh. you're not looking at your feet when you're walking down the board most of the time. So it was completely numb from my ankle down. Wow. It, it was it was insane. But I but I think that was a very good learning opportunity for me. And you know, four years later, maybe went had been through enough stuff that I um, I was focused. I think most every day in my training and and. And then beyond that as well, when I came back um, after 76, I, I wanted to dive in the 80 games. You know how that all went. But yeah, it, 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 there's always an opportunity. And I, mm-hmm. when I spoke to a group of people last weekend, um, one of the things I said to the group, and there were 700 people out there, I, was, I said, you know, today's world, a lot of teachers are encouraged and and I think parents at times sometimes get into this not to let young people make mistakes or to protect them from, from certain mistakes. I think our best learning, I shouldn't say best, one of the best learning tools we have is from our own mistakes. And we figure out from the inside out what, what we need to do in order not to have that happen or to be better the next time or... And when you let a young person, and I'm not talking about an infant, but when you let people make mistakes and figure out mm-hmm. what what path they want to take going forward, and certainly with the help of your coaches, your friends, your loved ones, um, then the lessons are a whole lot more meaningful and are internalized, I think, forever. Yeah. So my next signature question, you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, I'm going to ask it really, it's kind of just two parts in one. What can the USA do to improve? And then what can we as coaches do to help that improvement? I think the coaches in the U.S. are amazing. I think that they are doing an incredible job as it is. And they have a lot on their plate, depending on the resources that they have to deal with. But because you need good, I think, leadership, not just in the coach that's on the pool deck, but in your organization, um, I think the, the leadership is really important. Uh, you need family support without obviously interfering. You need good leadership. And that means all the way up, and, and please understand, I, I'm, I'm not ready to to tear apart USA Diving, but I think it means from the board of directors to the uh, staff, the office, who's who's running the show. I think 
the whole organization has to has to have the kind of leadership that makes people want to comply and to to help. And you know, there's we're talking everything from fundraising to putting on national uh, competitions and clinics and opportunities to, to get together and see what other coaches are doing and sharing information. To me, that was huge to share information. Coaches like you all, what works in your program? What works with this kind of diver yeah. that has this problem? And to be able to share that with others. And, you know, I understand that with social media these days, you can, you don't have to necessarily be doing that in person, but when you can do it in person, that is huge. And sometimes it may take, you know, getting people together regionally because it's not a, a funded national uh, program of some kind, but I think having, having groups get together and, and share information and, and how did John Wingfield get this out of uh, this person when they seem to resist it in the past? How did you all do this? And I, I think that there's, it, it, it's an entire community. It's not just one thing, but I think getting together and having those uh, elite type situations and making decisions on where, where are your resources best put? You all can't decide that for everybody. I know that. But you have to have the kind of leadership that has the big picture. I know Leslie has a huge uh, responsibility in, in trying to figure that out. And she's got good help with uh, Kimball. Um, and I just, uh, you know, um, I, I want USA Dining to succeed in, in so many ways. And I want to see them be able to have the resources that they want. But I I think you have to develop relationships um, with people that that can help, and that and that means that you know, kind of have to all be on the same page. And, and I think an office is important. I know mm -hmm. they, I know they don't necessarily have one, but I think when you have a national governing body of a nonprofit and the people that work for it, and maybe there's not enough people because of the lack of resources. But they don't see each other on a on a day to day basis, and they don't talk about what their objectives and goals are. You know, not just this week and next week, but going forward for the next quadrennial, et cetera. Um, I think that is so important to, to be mm -hmm. able to see each other. I've known at times, and this is you know probably not a secret either that some of the people in the office didn't even know who the other staff workers were. <laughs> and I think that is unfortunate. Because uh, I don't know if this is true or not. I've read it in some of the research, um, and it's been about nonprofits that um, after COVID, it's really even more important for a nonprofit to be able to become more uh, resource oriented, to have an office where people are together and they're going back to so that they can look at each other and they can, they can they can bounce things off of each other. They can go to the boss, um, you know, in the next office over or the next cubicle or whatever yeah. it is, instead of trying to get in touch with them 
And I think it's hard. I, I know it's not just USA Diamonds, but I, I, I've asked about that before because I think it would, it would be beneficial, maybe. I don't know. It's just a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so Cynthia, what is your favorite drill? Whenever you were coaching or when you were a diver, what was your favorite drill to do or have your athletes do? Well, we did a lot of warm-ups, and we tried to um, we tried to make it so that the warm-up didn't take an hour. But we would do some type of you know stretching as well as um, trying to heat the body up and um, you know, I, I liked um, some type of hanging lifts for your abs. Be careful with your back. Um, I liked that because there's so much stress put on the, the back, the obliques, and, and the midsection, as you know, the core. Um, I like that. I like um, some type of shoulder stretching. I, I like the exercises that you do on a mat where, you know, you might do a pike up and then you twist and you come out and you and you square out um, like you would be doing twisters. I, I think mm -hmm. all of those are good. I also think that body alignment, mm -hmm. I, I know I'm not giving you one favorite one. No, that's okay. Body alignment is, is huge. Body posture. And I understand there are, there are different uh, opinions on the best kind of posture for diving and the, the best kind of posture for maybe injury prevention so i think you got to take all that and figure out what's what's going to be acceptable or maybe create a, a nicer impression standing on the board than standing in a position that's kind of awkward looking and and are any of those contributing negatively or positively to the possibility for uh, uh, injury so i think right. you have to figure those things out and i know they you know, Ben Rubin used to help me and my divers with that all the time. Is you know, this is the kind of body alignment. Get up against the wall and, and see. Can you can you get your shoulders and your back against the wall at the same time? Mm -hmm. um, and and a lot of divers can't even. I mean, especially my middle school divers. Mm -hmm. They're like, that's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. it's not really impossible. But I think there are um, you know a lot of exercises that you can do and you don't have to be in the pool and if you care about you know diving and you want to really get better you might be doing you you can you can train a toe point yeah and that's huge uh, absolutely there are a number of different ways to do that I, I know you all know those too but training a toe point for those people that maybe never took dance or never even thought about i can't point my toes today without getting cramps in my feet seems like and I was <laughs> so I didn't really have an issue with that when I dived but I understand how 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 tight you can get without that that stretching daily and, and what you need to do so um I I'm not sure I have one favorite exercise but I think warming up the core is huge awesome awesome now best advice given or received uh are we talking about and anything it could be just a, a piece of life advice we've had people uh patrick jeffrey uh he used a lot of uh, examples from his father he's like work hard like simple simple things so whatever uh you think is the best advice you've given or received i, I think maybe one of them is um don't get out work 
But there comes with a caveat. Don't overwork also. You have right. to know your, yeah. So maybe the best advice is get to know your body. When I started tuning into, I did a lot of Pilates and yoga and, and whatnot in the end of my career. And I think I, I learned the places that needed help and the ones that um, maybe I, I had some strength in. So to get to know your body and, and then do what's best with it. And, and you know, yeah. take care of the whole body. Take yeah. Care, all of it. Uh, Absolutely. Um, who would you like to hear us interview next? Have you interviewed Leslie? No, she's on our we list. Have not. So, yep. Yeah. You actually mentioned her name and I wrote her down and I circled it and put a star by it. I'm like, we have to follow up with her. So awesome. Yeah. That's a great one. Um, and then my last question for you is what question are we not asking that we should be? Uh, what's the plan for the future? What's nice. The plan? I want to say, I want every coach in USA Dining to know, I want everybody involved in USA Dining to see and know what the strategic plan is um, in as much as it could be shared without, uh, I guess, breaking any confidences about, you know, any, and I don't see any sponsors or anything else being involved here, but right. but what is the strategic plan and, and how are you going to implement it? What, you know, and I'm talking about, it should be for a quadrennial, mm -hmm. I think. I know yeah. that's a lot of work. I understand that. That is a ton of work. That is something that I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, not putting my hand up. I'm old. <laughs> but I think that is really important. And there's, there's already so many successful people. And I don't think you need every one of them to write their own strategic plan. But the, the one that should maybe come out should have options and should, uh, you know, maybe be looked at by um, a group of people. And, yeah. and we did that many, many years ago. Um, there was a group of us that got in a room for two and a half days, I think it was, and, and came up with what we called a strategic, I think it was called a strategic plan. Right. But um, it was, it was a roadmap. And I'm not sure I see that. Um, right. And I think that a strategic plan isn't about, um, excuse me for saying this, isn't about DEI. It's not about um, safety necessarily. Of course, you have to take those things into consideration. There, there's, you got to incorporate all of, uh, of what you know has to be included, uh, but I don't think you have to make certain things that aren't specific yeah. diving strategy um, the priority. I think yep. you get down to here's the way we prioritize or we periodize from uh, 2028 back to 2024. Here's what we do, and we use the information that we have with scores, dives, all that kind of stuff. Steve Foley did that a long time ago. Mm -hmm. We used all of that. We, we, we shared with everybody. We used it. And we were on the same page when it came to predicting metals and, and what kind of score you needed and what kind of, you know, that's how we came up with a hit and a miss for women and men. Mm -hmm. So uh, is, it, is it real specific? I think the 
longer you work on it, the more specific it will be. And yeah, it you have to it has to be flexible enough that you know annually, if you need to tweak it a little bit, you can do that. But you have to have, I think, a roadmap. And yeah, uh, it's really important for me when I go somewhere and I don't know where I'm going. I yep. probably ain't gonna sit there very easily. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a great question to be asking, especially as we interview people through USA diving. Um, so just for our listeners before Aaron does our send off, just a reminder camps and clinics. Um, we have our camp going on at Clarion. We'd love to see you guys. I'm still trying to convince Aaron maybe next summer to see if I can get him to come out and help, uh, do a diving pod camp, but, uh, we'll see what the next year holds for us. But, um, just let us know, reach out to us on Instagram. If you want us to advertise those, Aaron will reach back out to you. Um, and for me, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us, giving us way more insight into what goes on in the color commentary and your background. Um, it was really a joy to have you. So thank you for your time this evening. You're so nice to let me blab so much. I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I, I know I'm full of a lot of stuff, but I, I do care about dining and I'm passionate yeah. about it. And I, I want to see... I want to see everybody succeed and, and I'm not talking about the people overseas. I'm talking about right uh, here. Well, 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 I think Aaron and I talk about it all the time as we interview people that we don't really know a ton like yourself or like when we interviewed Lee Mashad and other people, it's like, we, we hope we leave the interview or the interaction. We say that person loves diving and there's no doubt you love diving. And that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I do love diving. And I love the fact that you guys um, care about it as much as you do. The only thing I didn't, <laughs> comment on that I think would maybe help with um and I, I won't mention all the areas that it might soothe but if coaches somehow would be willing to take the judges certification and it didn't cost them anything I think yeah. that would really be helpful because there's so many I hear like when I'm in line at the hospitality area at the NCAAs and and I hear coaches saying that judging was horrible this that <laughs> and the other and and you know I'm I'm not going to say that, you know, there aren't mistakes. There's a reason why there's seven judges. We get that. Yep. But yep. if you know, and the, and the criteria has changed over the years so much, I have mm -hmm. to keep up with it. I yeah. took, I took the judging certification like three times and I wasn't going to judge. Um, and I did judge a world cup and, and way back when, but that's neither here nor there. The, the, the purpose I think is so that it would help the coaches and the divers know specifically what now the, mm. the judges are looking for what are the major things that they deduct and reward for and yeah and and if we all knew that uh when we were coaching then not and i don't care about i mean you can be critical about anything you want to be that's that's the way we are as humans but i think it might help us because we could concentrate on certain things that we know well the judges are going to like that stuff yeah, for sure. <clears throat> exactly. Uh, all right. Well, if you're out there, uh, hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod. Our email is the diving pod at gmail.com. Again, we still have t-shirts and hoodies and hats, uh, all kinds of fun things for sale at divingpod.itemorder.com. Enter dive pod at checkout for free shipping. Again, thank you so much, Cynthia, enlightening us, sharing your story. It was an absolute blast and a pleasure. So appreciate it. It's an honor being with you guys. Thank you so much. And, and good luck in everything you do in regards right. to that and otherwise. Thank you. Sounds good. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.